Welcome back to The Incompetent Critic, and a very Merry Christmas to all of our viewers. Let's not dilly-dally around and cut right to the chase. Christmas movies are awesome. Today, we are going to be looking at some of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time, and reviewing them to see how they match up against other films in the genre. And yes, Christmas is indeed a film genre, and I will not hear anything different. Christmas is a lovely time of year, and for many people, myself included, it is the best time of the year. However, many of the movies that I'm going to review today are not exactly the greatest movies ever made. Some of them are actually really good, and some of them are painfully okay. I've seen some of these movies a thousand times, and some of them I'm watching for the very first time. So let's get right into it with our first review, the Hallmark Christmas Movies? Okay, in all seriousness, I did not sit down and watch every single Hallmark Christmas movie that has ever been released. In fact, if I watched all of them back-to-back -back without taking any breaks, it would most likely take me several years to finish. Fortunately for me, every single one of these movies are the same, so I'll just lay out the basic plot for all of them. Big City Girl is forced to move back into her hometown and spend the holiday with her family. While she's there, she meets a baker-slash-lumberjack-slash-local school teacher who looks like an Abercrombie model, and they fall in love. They go through their ups and downs, they break up, and they get back together at the town's annual Christmas festival. At the end of the movie, the girl rediscovers the meaning of Christmas. Now, the problem with the fact that all these movies are the same is that they all suck. Every single one of them. There is not a good film in the entirety of the Hallmark Christmas movie collection. Most of the actors in these movies are people who have never acted before in their lives, or actors who were somewhat big in the late 80s and they are trying to make a comeback and there is no in-between. I honestly don't know how any of these movies make money. Hallmark is definitely a front for a drug cartel or something. I will not hear anything otherwise, I do not care. 0.5 for all of them. Now that we have that out of the way, let's move on to the real Christmas movies, starting with Elf. Elf is probably my favorite Christmas movie. It's hilarious, it's heartwarming, and the whole cast delivers some solid performances. I mean, they got my man Sonny Corleone to play an uptight New York businessman, and it's just... Oh, it's chef's kiss. However, my biggest complaint with this movie is the fact that Will Ferrell is the sole reason that this movie is good. I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and, um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy! And guess what? I love you! I love you! I love you! Wow, that was weird. I know you may be asking yourself, isn't that a good thing? Well, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that whenever Will Ferrell isn't on screen, the movie is just kind of average. I mean, be honest. Out of everyone who has seen this movie repeatedly, who remembers the plotline with Walter trying to come up with a new children's book idea? The only memorable scene in this entire storyline is the scene with Peter Dinklage. And that's partially because Will Ferrell comes into the scene later on. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. He's an angry elf. 
That being said, Will Ferrell's performance is so good that it elevates all of the average qualities of this movie. His childlike optimism and enthusiasm plays perfectly off of everyone else's pessimistic attitudes. And it may be strange to think about now, but before this movie came out, Will Ferrell was just known as the guy from Saturday Night Live. But this movie really made him a star in Hollywood, which is really funny in hindsight. I mean, the movie where a six foot three man dresses up as a Christmas elf makes him into a movie star. Hollywood, you never fail to amaze me. The first script for Elf was written back in 1993 and was originally supposed to star Jim Carrey in the starring role. However, the movie had a ton of developmental issues and it took almost 10 years to actually get the ball rolling. But by 2002, Jim Carrey dropped out and Will Ferrell stepped in. The rest is history. Funny, heartwarming, and has a good message. 7.8 out of 10. Alright, moving on to the Home Alone movies. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's only going to review the first two, right? Right? Well, I'm afraid that I'm going to talk about all of them. You see, I am one of the 13 people on the face of this planet that has actually seen all of the Home Alone movies. And let's just say they are very different from one another in terms of quality. The first one is awesome. A timeless slapstick comedy movie with a good message at its heart. The cast is great. Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, Catherine O'Hara, The Cop from The Sopranos, John Candy, The Weird Neighbor from Friends. They're all great. I am very partial to the scene where John Candy is talking about how big of a polka star he is. That's okay. I thought you might have recognized it. Anyways, um, I had a few hits a few years ago. Uh, that's why, I, you know, just polka, 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 polka. No? It, Twin Lakes polka, Damavuji polka, a.k.a. Kiss Me Polka, Polka Twist. Well, these are songs. Yeah. I watch this movie every single year, and I never get tired of it. 7.4 out of 10. The second movie is still pretty good, but it's essentially a copy and paste from the first movie. I just know that the executives came to Chris Columbus and said, Hey, you, the first movie was pretty good, and it made a lot of money. Can you do the same thing again? And he was probably like, Yeah, sure, I'll write a new script and I'll get back to you. And they replied, No, no, just, uh, just do the same thing again. But this time, set it in New York. And he said, um, okay, why New York? And they said, because we said so. This movie is still a lot of fun, but you can't help but think that these parents are the worst parents in the history of mankind. Forgetting their child not once, but two years in a row on Christmas. Also, Tim Curry is terrific, as always, as the villainous hotel manager. What's the matter? Store wouldn't take your stolen credit card. Funny. A little repetitive, but still pretty good. 7 out of 10. After the second movie, we have entered the dark age of Home Alone movies. Home Alone 3 is a below-average movie. The first two had good characters, fun gags, and a heartwarming message. However, this film, and every subsequent film, throws all of that in the trash. This movie isn't about a pair of thieves trying to rob a wealthy family. Instead, it's about a group of terrorists trying to steal a microchip that somehow landed into the possession of an eight-year-old boy. Yeah, it goes off the rails pretty quickly and not in a good way. 3.5 out of 10. Home Alone 4 is a bad movie. Bad characters, bad writing, and it's not even funny. I saw this movie back on Disney Channel when I was about eight years old, and even back then, I was like, man, this is pretty bad. 2.3 out of 10. 
I can't speak a lot about the last two Home Alone movies because I started them, but never finished them. The one from 2012 is just as bad as the fourth one, and for some reason stars Oscar-nominated actor Malcolm McDowell as the main villain. Yes, the guy from A Clockwork Orange who sang Singing in the Rain is the main villain of this Home Alone movie. I don't know how much they paid him, but this movie stinks. 2 out of 10. Home Sweet Home Alone, released on Disney+, Plus, tries to recapture the nostalgia of the first two movies, but it fails in virtually every way. It brings back a couple of the characters that we remember from the older movies, but their appearances are not enjoyable. Not funny, and not enjoyable, 2 out of 10. The main lesson here is that if you're going to watch any of the Home Alone movies, watch the first two, and then skip the rest. Moving on, let's get to the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard! Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. If you think otherwise, you can kick rocks! Great action, great hero, great villains, Alan Rickman is amazing, and a great ending, 8.5 out of 10. You know, it's funny, this is not the last time we're going to see Alan Rickman on this list. Anyways, next up, we've got How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The one with Jim Carrey. This movie is a good and enjoyable watch, but it has the same problem that Elf has. Whenever Jim Carrey is not on screen, the quality dips drastically. However, this movie is filled with cool visuals, and the world of Whoville definitely makes up for some of it. However, my main concern is that this movie is just too gosh darn long. It definitely takes a lot of liberties with Dr. Seuss's original story. I mean, in the original story, the Grinch hates Christmas, he steals Christmas, he feels guilty about stealing Christmas, he returns Christmas, and then he loves Christmas. It's not a long or complex story by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, when the first movie adaptation was released on television back in the 60s, the total runtime was a little over 20 minutes. Which makes sense because children have a very short attention span. In comparison to this, the Jim Carrey adaptation was almost two hours long. And that is kind of absurd. What do you need to tell in two hours of movie time? Just cut out the entire flashback sequence with the Grinch as a kid and all the backstory and the runtime will be about 90 minutes. Actually, you know what? Just cut out all of that, all the backstory, and replace it with 30 extra minutes of Jim Carrey improvising. I'm positive that everyone would love it even more. That being said, this movie is still a lot of fun and Jim Carrey absolutely owns the character of the Grinch. Some of his line delivery could literally not be replaced by any other actor. If you utter so much as one syllable, I'll hunt you down and gut you like a fish! If you'd like to fax me, press the star key. Hmm. Oh, wow. And this is even more impressive when you consider the fact that he was basically suffocating under all of that makeup and prosthetics. I salute you, Jim. I salute you. 7.5 out of 10. Moving on to our next film, The Heartwarming Love Actually. Yes, we've come to the film that many regard as a classic holiday movie that should be watched every year during the holiday season. And I'll admit, it does have a lot going for it, but hot take, I think this movie might be a little overrated. Now, I had never seen this movie until I decided to make this episode, so I just watched it, and my initial reaction is still fresh in my mind. And my initial reaction is that I don't see what all the hype is about. Sure, it's a cute movie with some heartwarming moments, and it has a lot going for it. The cast is the main thing that people immediately point out when they talk about how amazing this movie is. Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, 
Kira Knightley, Laura Linney, Rick Grimes, Professor Snape, Bilbo Baggins, the guy from 12 Years a Slave, Mr. Bean, and even Davy Jones himself all make appearances. I feel it in my fingers. In my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Feel it in my toes. Yeah. Love is all a f***ing bugger shitting ass head and hole. But here's the main problem with this movie. We have all of these big name actors sharing screen time and storylines that, let's be honest, really don't have anything to do with each other. I know that's the whole gimmick with movies like these, that all of these storylines are loosely intertwined and they all come together at the end, but this story structure doesn't allow us to spend any quality time with the characters that we actually like. Instead, all of these intertwining love stories feel really rushed in a film that is over two hours long. I wasn't invested in any of the love stories that we were seeing on screen. You know why? Because they all get together in the end. That being said, this movie is really carried by all of the charisma that the actors have. None of the characters really go on huge character arcs, but it's a lot of fun to see them interact with each other in their own little stories. If I had to pick out my favorite storyline from this movie, I'm definitely going to have to go with the storyline with Liam Neeson. It's just about a widower trying his best to raise his stepson despite not really knowing how to do it. One of my favorite details from this storyline is the fact that the kid learns how to play drums in under two weeks. And as a person who actually did learn how to play drums in under two weeks, it was pretty accurate. Cute movie, but not as good as everybody says. 6.9 out of 10. I think I'm hilarious. Next up, we've got the Santa Claus movies, starring everyone's favorite Republican, Buzz Lightyear. In my humble opinion, and I might hurt someone's feelings saying this, the Santa Claus movies are okay, okay, and also okay. I'm serious. They're not my favorite Christmas movies, but they're not bad. Tim Allen delivers a solid performance, even though his shtick is sometimes annoying. What was the last thing you and Charlie did before you went to bed Christmas Eve? We shared a bowl of sugar, some shots of brown liquor, played my shotguns, field dressed a cat, looked for women. The first movie is probably the best movie in the series. It has a good message and a relatively grounded story. I say relatively because this movie still involves an absentee father becoming Santa Claus overnight. But seriously, the main plot of this movie is about Tim Allen becoming Santa and almost losing custody of his son because everyone thinks he's crazy. It's honestly a pretty simple story if you look past all of the, you know, Santa stuff. Obviously, I need to highlight the biggest plot hole in this movie, and one of the biggest plot holes out of any movie. The adults in this movie don't believe in Santa, but it's explicitly shown to us that Santa delivers presents to every home in the world. So, where do the adults think these presents come from? My theory is that all of the adults in this world get absolutely hammered drunk on Christmas Eve, and they wake up with an enormous hangover. So when their kids are opening presents on Christmas Day, they aren't really paying attention to what they got, or they don't remember what they bought the night before. I think it's a solid theory. All of the other movies in this series go off the rails pretty quickly, but this one is relatively tame all the way through. Solid movie, fun watch, 6.5 out of 10. The Santa Claus 2 is a bit of a step down from the first movie. The first movie focuses a lot on the relationship between father and son, and while it is present in this movie, it's not the main focus anymore. In this movie, Santa has to get married and find a Mrs. Claus, or else he will no longer get to be Santa. And now that I think about it, it's kind of messed up. What if my man Santa just wants to be a bachelor for life? What's wrong with that? 
Just let my boy live his life! Sorry. I, uh, I got, I got carried away there. Um, where was I? For what it's worth, the romance storyline works pretty well for me. The actors have decent chemistry, and I like the detail that Santa has to go on a bunch of awkward blind dates before finding the right woman. Dating is hard, people! And it's nothing to be ashamed of. That being said, I don't like the storyline of fake Santa taking over the North Pole while the real Santa is gone. Tim Allen wearing toy makeup gave me nightmares as a child, and I still haven't gotten over it to this day. Not a bad movie, but not as good as the first. 6.1 out of 10. The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, is certainly different from the first two. While the first two movies had a nice balance of events taking place between the North Pole and the regular world, this movie is set almost entirely at the North Pole. And honestly, it's a little overwhelming. It's almost like when you eat too much candy and you get a stomachache. In this film, Santa goes up against Jack Frost, played by the incomparable Martin Short. And for the most part, all of the best scenes in this movie are just Martin Short doing his thing. I'm pretty sure half of his lines are ad-libbed, and it's kind of awesome. Well, you gotta know about me. I'm a legendary figure, too, with enormous power in my own right. Okay, okay, chill. I invented chill! The only problem is that Jack Frost doesn't get nearly as much screen time as he should in this film. The rest of the movie is devoted to Santa's family drama, and I can safely say that it puts me to sleep every single time. There's a big plot point about Santa meeting his in-laws for the first time, and I can't help but compare it to Meet the Parents, and Meet the Parents did it a lot better. This movie is fun at times, but it feels like the movie thinks it's really funny when it's mostly just... eh. 6 out of 10. Now, I know some of you are thinking, is he gonna review the Santa Clauses too? No. I know it's streaming on Disney Plus right now, but I haven't seen it, so I'm not gonna review it. Maybe someday, but probably not. Moving on, let's get to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay, just for starters, I don't like that National Lampoon puts the company name in front of all of their movies. It's the most annoying thing ever, and it's even more annoying when some people don't know which movie you're talking about unless you include the National Lampoon's. For example, if I said, have you ever seen Vacation? People wouldn't know what I was talking about. But if I said, have you ever seen National Lampoon's Vacation? They would understand. It's so annoying. Anyways, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of my favorite movies during the holiday season. It's probably the funniest movie that I've reviewed on this list so far, and that's saying something because I've already talked about Elf and Home Alone. Chevy Chase is perfect as an idiot father trying his best to make Christmas happen for his family. This is a full-blown four-alarm holiday emergency here. We're gonna press on, and we're gonna have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap danced with Danny f***ing K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white down that chimney tonight, he's gonna find the jolliest bunch of holes this side of the nuthouse. Strangely enough, I can kind of relate to Clark Griswold around the holiday season. There are some years where the people around me are not entirely psyched for Christmas, and I think they're insane! It's literally the most wonderful time of the year! Jesus' birthday, the lights, the songs, the food, the family, get in the spirit! No one's walking out of this good old-fashioned family Christmas! Oh no, we're all in this together! I'm sorry. I, uh... I got a little carried away there. Um... I apologize. But seriously, I relate to Clark's passion for the holiday season, even when everyone else is just kind of phoning it in. Cousin Eddie is an iconic character, and Randy Quaid is absolutely hilarious. How sure does look swell, Clark. Thanks, Eddie. I hope it enhances your holiday spirit. <laughs> Dear Catherine. Eddie? 
<laughs> and most importantly, this movie made me fall in love with the song Melikaliki Maka by Bing Crosby. Because the scene that it plays in is just, uh, um, well, I mean, it, uh, it, it's just a great, it, it's a great song. Uh, I, I don't know where I was. Really funny movie, extremely rewatchable, 7.4 out of 10. Next up, we've got the holiday classic, A Christmas Story. If I were to describe this film with a single word, I would say that it's cozy. The narration is amazing, and it's one of the few times where narration improves the film that it's in instead of just standing in the way. The narrator is the perfect straight man in this odd world that we are viewing, and it's just, it's, it's, it's perfect. The performances in this movie are all on point, and the standout is obviously Darren McGavin as the father. His line delivery is up there with some of the greatest comedic actors, and he single-handedly changed the way that I say, fragile. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. I'm serious. The leg lamp scene is so hilarious in such subtle ways. And that's the main thing that I can say about this movie. It's so funny without being in your face about it. For example, look at the scene where Ralphie's friend gets his tongue stuck to a pole. The main joke of the scene is hilarious, but what really drives it home for me are the reactions of the other characters. I gotta hand it to the child actors in this film, they are some of the best to ever do it. Speaking of which, did you guys know that the guy who plays Ralphie eventually grew up and starred in Iron Man? Like, I just now figured this out. He actually plays a pretty significant role in the MCU when you think about it. Anyways, great movie, a Christmas classic for the whole family to enjoy, 8.6 out of 10. Now I can see why they stream it for 24 hours straight on TBS come Christmas Eve. Anyways, we have now moved to the final movie of our review. It's A Wonderful Life. It's A Wonderful Life may be the definitive Christmas movie in our society. I'm not a gambling man, but if you were to ask about 100 people who have seen this movie, I'm willing to bet a substantial amount of money that most of them would say that they liked it. The main storyline kind of echoes the same message of A Christmas Carol, but it puts a unique spin on it and it makes it even better. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, which I'm assuming many of you haven't since it came out in 1946, I'll summarize the main plot. George, a down-on-his-luck family man, tries to commit suicide, but is stopped by his guardian angel, Clarence. Clarence, who has watched over George for his entire life, shows him a reality in which he was never born. Realizing how impactful his life is to everybody else, George decides to go home and keep on living. The movie ends with George being with his family and Clarence getting his wings in heaven. That's right. That's right. It's a pretty simple story, but its theme is very effective. There may be times in your life where you feel like you can't do anything right and there may be no way out, but in these times you have to count your blessings and keep on going. This has been your I'm No Genius Thought of the Day! James Stewart delivers the performance of a lifetime as George Bailey. Every emotion that he displays during the runtime of this movie is just perfect. And I'm not the only one who thinks that either. Because in 1947, he received an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in a Leading Role. In fact, this movie is probably the most critically acclaimed Christmas movie of all time, earning a total of five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. So out of all of the movies on this list, 
this is the only film to be nominated for that prestigious award. And regardless of how little the Oscars matter in modern times, this is still pretty awesome. Despite being in black and white and the fact that it was released almost 80 years ago, this movie is timeless. Heartwarming, great performances, and one of the greatest life lessons ever shown in film. I would be a fool to give It's a Wonderful Life anything less than a 9.1 out of 10. And that's all the movies, but before I go, I want to share the real reason why we all celebrate Christmas. Isaiah 9.6 says that, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Luke 2, 10 through 12 says, But the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I know that there are plenty of people out there in the world who don't necessarily believe what I believe, and that's okay. But I just want all of you to know that I believe the reason for this season is celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, from everyone here at I'm No Genius, thank you for watching another episode of The Incompetent Critic, and have yourself a very Merry Christmas.